and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I'm David Bax. Tyler Smith is on assignment. And uh, before we get to the episode proper and all the fun, fun stuff we're going to talk about with our fun, fun guest, I want to tell you that this episode is brought to you by White to Play, a new short film from Yona Paley. What do you get when you cross the 1,500-year-old game of chess with a thrilling fantasy movie? White to Play, well, I think you get the end of... uh, the first Harry Potter movie, right? Um, <laughs> I'm looking at our guest who has uh, decided to really commit to the not not participating until she's introduced. Um, sorry, White to Play is the latest film from writer-director Yona Paley. It follows a tournament chess player named Michael who goes face-to-face with one of the toughest opponents of his career. She and the very game they are playing threaten to bring Michael down to his knees. A game of patience becomes one of dread and terror. We have just two weeks left to raise funds for the film, which will cover costs such as costumes, set design, special effects, and much, much more. Head to BattleshipPretension.com and click on the White to Play ad on the left-hand side to contribute to this unique film. And I also want to tell you about TweakedAudio.com. TweakedAudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. And Tyler and I use them each and every day. I don't know if our guest does, uh, but I would highly recommend it. Um, Today... I was listening to all sorts of new music. I was listening to the new song from The Strokes called At The Door. It's very good. I was listening to the new experimental EP album thing by uh, uh, Diamanda Gallus called The Litanies of Satan. That was a fun uh, drive to work with, uh, or, 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 or walk to work uh, with her screaming in my ears. Um, I, was, I, was, I listened to the new song from actor Caleb Landry Jones. Oh, a- <laughs> I didn't know he was a musician. <laughs> yeah, he has a new song out. It's uh it's it's it's, it's weird. I don't know. It's it's okay. But it all sounded great on my tweakedaudio.com earbuds that are they're, excuse me. They're available in a, uh, at a low, low price at tweakedaudio.com, but if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So I implore you to go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, let's get into it, shall we? Uh, in record time, I'm going to introduce our guest. She's become our go-to uh, uh, film festival wrapper-upper uh, with me. So welcome back to the podcast, Angie Han. Hello, I'm happy from to Mashable. be here. Yes, I am from Mashable, and I'm happy to be here. <laughs> I saw, oh, now I can't remember what the movie was, but I saw an ad the other day. And it had like a, a, a pull quote that just said Mashable. I was like, I wonder if that was Angie. But um, I can't remember what it was. Well, then I can't tell you if it was me <laughs> because I don't know if it's a movie I've even seen. Yeah. And now that I think about it, it might have been a TV, so, a TV show. So uh, I don't know if you reviewed TV over there. Good uh, story, David. Yeah. <laughs> We're off to a great start. Um, but yeah, what, I, what I'm saying is mashable has made quite a name for themselves over years of covering uh popular culture and, and tech and stuff but when i see mashable i think angie han oh thank you <laughs> so uh angie how you been 
I have been well. How are you been? How uh, are you? How, how have you been? I've been very, very stressed out. But uh, as I was saying off mic, I'm getting ready to uh, go to Vegas for a long weekend. So uh, I'll, I'll be right as rain by next week. Very nice. I'm going to Santa Barbara this weekend, so I'm excited about that. Oh, what are you, what are you, what are you doing? Just hanging out, getting out of L.A. and its immediate surrounding areas. Yeah, I mean, you're going to do some wine. You drink some wine? It seems like you're not allowed to go there without doing a bunch of wineries, so yes. Yeah, that's what you do. Yeah. That's what's that's what's fun about about Santa Barbara, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's a um, beach town. There's wine and beer and apparently just, you know, a gazillion wineries and breweries and restaurants. So Yeah, we go. It, my, is, it, my, seems, it seems impossible to not have fun. Um, my wife, my lovely wife, Natalie, and I, you, you know Natalie, are um, kind of big wine people. So we spend a lot of time in, in, in Los Olivos and the San Inez Valley and Los Alamos and Solvang and all that stuff. All uh, right. Yeah, which is obviously inland from, from Santa Barbara because I guess we're not beach people. I, know, I never thought about that. I guess we're, uh, uh, I don't know, we've been to the beach. Okay. All right. Um, Angie, what are we here to do today? We are here to talk about, I don't even know how many, a lot of Sundance movies that we saw. Yes, we'll be talking, we'll be wrapping up everything worth talking about uh at uh, at sundance 2020 although even that's not really true because you ever do you ever have this thing that happened because so many movies premiere at some sundance i mean specifically like premiere i mean like as opposed to tiff which last time you were on we were wrapping up tiff 2019 um i always talk too fast when tyler's not here i feel like tyler slows me down um so last time you were here was for TIFF 2019. And when we talk about TIFF, you go in knowing like all these great directors whose work I love have movies at TIFF. And I've heard of some of these movies, you know, because I, I know they're coming out or because they played other festivals. You know, they might have just played Venice or Telluride or something. But like Sundance really uh, prioritizes the premiere thing. And so a lot of times I feel like you go to like you try to do your research, but you go to Sundance not necessarily knowing what the big movies are going to be. And also, the other thing that happens is that movies end up coming out across the year that you're like, wait, that premiered at Sundance? Yeah. Like I wasn't even there, and like didn't is there was something like Clemency or something like premiered at Sundance last year? I can't. That might not be the movie I'm thinking of, but something like that right. where it was like it wasn't on my radar at all. Right. And ends up being like a sort of big deal movie by the end of the year. So when I say we're going to talk about everything worth talking about at Sundance, I'm being tongue tongue in cheek because we don't even like. Sundance is, I feel like it takes a year or two to look back at a, a festival and be like, oh, that was a good year. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. especially the past couple of years, because my my first two years, which I think were also your first two years. I think so. You had Manchester by the Sea the first year and you had Call Me By Your Name the second year. Right. And um, I feel like everyone kind of left knowing like, oh, those are the big movies. And I don't know that there's been a Sundance movie like that since Call Me By Your Name. I'm not sure, but I will say, I mean... The other thing is that at Sun- like nobody knows what the big movies will be out of there. There are also things at Sundance that seem like they're going to be huge and then turn out not to be, as we see every year when right. there's like some sort of record deal made for a movie and then it actually comes out and then all the headlines are about how yes. the studio overpaid for it. So that's, that's become a really common Sundance storyline. So I guess what I'm saying is let yourself off the hook. No one knows what the what the, all the movies worth seeing but, are at Sundance, which is kind of the joy and the terror of it. And I don't follow that sort of the, the acquisitions part of it that, that much. I imagine you have to a little bit, uh, uh for much. work now. Um, 
But it seems like, like the two movies I named, Manchester by the Sea and Call Me by Your Name, they aren't. When people think of like, I feel like we're still the the shadow of. Uh, what's maybe little miss sunshine is still hanging over Sundance. And so you hear like the movies ended up getting the big deals off. And like, what I get, what was the big one this year? Palm Springs, Palm Springs, like, which beat out, uh, was it birth of a nation by like 69 cents? Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's funny. That was um, a cute little joke, which birth of a nation, another one that at Sundance, yeah. everyone was like, this is going to be the big movie this year. It's going to make so much money. It got like a huge reception. Uh, and then, you know, the, the studio bought it for lots and lots of money. And then it, I mean, it's not entirely just like festival hype was not the only reason why that really just went bust. But yeah, there was, were other reasons. And yeah. also the fact that Birth of Nation is not a very good movie, um, if you ask me. And I think that happened. The, the festival glow really, uh, I think, is it, it, it's something that happens at every festival where people like overpraise things because the, right. the sort of nature of being at a festival is like you're like we all love movies and we're all here together and that's exciting and i feel like sundance maybe because it's like cold outside like there's more of a sense of like we're all huddling together and watching these movies and people love these sundance movies i feel like it's more than other festivals that festival glow shows up and then people because they're one of the big movies from last year that i didn't see at sundance was light night and then I saw it when it came out in like June, and I was like, "This sucks." What? Oh, the Mindy Kaling. Yeah, movie. yeah. I was yeah. like, "This movie sucks." And not only does it suck, BattleshipRetention.com uh, readers know it made our site's list of the ten worst movies of twenty nineteen. Oh my so, gosh, you must have seen a lot of great movies last year. Because I, I mean, I'm not saying it was my favorite movie of last year, but I wouldn't say it was one of the ten worst things that I saw. I, well, I didn't put it on my but list. It's, like, it's a weighted list. I didn't put it on my list, but uh, uh, it did make the list. At least for me with that movie, that movie's actually a good example of what you're talking about for me personally, because I really liked it. And I do feel like one of the reasons I liked it, maybe, you know, I stand by my positive review of it. Like I liked it. I don't feel bad about that. But I do feel like even at the time I knew going into that movie, if it's a comedy and it's like pretty good, then I'm probably going to have a good time because that was a day that I had come off of watching like the Harvey Weinstein documentary. Oh, right. And I think like yeah. Honey Boys or something like it was a day where I had seen so many depressing films in a row. And I feel like film festivals kind of do that to you where the way that you're watching them is different just by virtue of the fact that you're watching like two or three or four or five in one day. And, you know, there's also the fact that you don't really know what to expect, which I think kind of uh, contributes to that. Sundance bubble yeah yeah because uh because a lot of the time you don't really know what to expect of the movie you're watching like if you're taken by surprise that will change your reaction to it whereas then by the time it comes out later in the year the audiences who are seeing late night when it actually comes out have had a certain set of expectations instilled sure. into them by like the hype and you know kind of like the the general murmur that's been going on around it so uh, I feel like I feel like that all this stuff is kind of kind of why Sundance seems to be maybe a, an even worse offender than other film festivals yeah. in terms of there being that bubble. But I find because I get so in my head about this that I almost do the opposite where something like you mentioned uh, Honey Boy. And that's what made me think of this is last year I saw Honey Boy and I was like, I think that was good. And I wrote a good review and I was like that. And I was like, that was good, right? And then I was like, wait, was it? And then like it came out, and other people started seeing it, and I liked it. I was like, yeah, I was right. That was a good movie. <laughs> it's hard to calibrate. Um, I mean, even if you try to correct for it, you don't necessarily know. And this is true, really, of like any movie review. Like, you know, any any movie that I see is just necessarily going to be influenced at least a little bit by what mood I'm in that day and how I'm feeling. You know, there's like all these kind of 
factors, no matter how hard you try to just focus on the art, kind of go into your experience yeah. of watching the movie, which can't help but color your reaction to it. Um, but now I completely lost the thread of what I was saying, so I will stop <laughs> talking. Th- this is getting away from Sundance, and we'll get back to Sundance. That's why some of my favorite reviews to watch are the things, or reviews to watch, reviews to write are the movies like your Avengers or Star Wars or whatever, where I know that like pretty much no one has seen it. And all I have, to, and it's not going to be that hard for me between seeing it. Cause I'm not going to see it till three or four days before the release. And I'll go home and write my review that night. I will, I'll be tainted by as little other, uh, 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 as few other opinions as possible. When you see Avengers, you're tainted by as few other, uh, reviews as possible. Because I'm, what I'm saying is I'm seeing it before it comes out, but okay. also before, anyone else is oh so you're saying like, it's the difference between like if you review honey boy and then i review it six months later after i've heard, read your review of it yes 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 okay, so that, that's why i like I, I like writing those sometimes i'm i surprise my i, I knew because i was on the opposite side of i mentioned avengers and star wars i was on the opposite side of both i did not like endgame and i kind of knew i was going to be in the minority but i did like rise of skywalker and i was surprised the next morning to find out that everyone didn't like it i had a good time i'm happy Uh, for you man (laughs) okay you're not on my side either um well we're going to talk about uh some movies now and uh yeah let's start with star wars the rise of skywalker (laughs) your favorite movie of 2019 yeah Yeah. um now we're gonna go uh alphabetically and this is including some stuff we saw pre and post sundance but this is a uh uh, just sort of a wrap-up uh the first thing i'll mention is the climb uh which is directed by michelangelo covino um and is was part of sundance's uh spotlight section which is um the, it's usually only a few movies in spotlight that uh, have played other festivals. Like I said, Sundance is very focused on the premieres, but sometimes they're like, Hey, we like this. So they, uh, they showed the climb, which is uh, not a bad movie. Um, it's about two male friends who at the very beginning of the movie are on like a, a mountain biking trip right before one of their, uh, one of them is about to get married. He wants to get in shape for getting married. So, uh, and then while they're, biking uphill on the climb the other guy reveals to his friends about to get married that he's for like years been sleeping with his fiance and uh the funny thing is that the rest of the movie is about their friendship which miraculously doesn't end that wedding doesn't happen but the friendship doesn't end and the the sort of conceit of the movie which i've seen other movies do this sort of thing um uh, and, and and sometimes it feels a little too schematic a little too gimmicky it only drops in every few sometimes there will be months or years between scenes right but every scene not every scene but a lot of the scenes are all one take or consist of of uh, a, a, a few very long long takes um and that kind of stuff i feel like can can be distracting but um i actually think it, it, it works here for the most part mostly because uh the movie is surprisingly funny um, for a movie that's about uh, a very, very bad friend, because it's the movie kind of has this um, this way of saying like, uh, well, he's a shitty friend, but at least he's dependable. <laughs> um, like dependably shitty, or like dependable in other areas. Kind of both, okay. In a way, All right. um, but it's yeah, it's uh, it, it's very good. It's a dark comedy. You've got uh, 
Um, I, 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 Michelangelo Cavino, the director, plays the bad friend. Um, I can't remember the name of the guy who plays the other friend, but you've also had Gail Rankin, the actress Gail Rankin, uh, plays the uh, not the wife that he, not the fiance that he, uh, uh, that Michelangelo Cavino uh, sleeps with, but that guy's second fiance. Oh, okay. Um, All right. uh, George Went plays the guy's dad. Uh, you've got, yeah, you've got some, some funny stuff, some, some good character actors, not the best of the festival by any, by any means, but, uh, the, uh, uh not, not, not even the best of the spotlight section. I almost said it was the best, but then I remembered another one. So, uh, that's the climb. I think you're up next with Coded Bias. Yes. Uh, so this is a documentary about bias and algorithms and the effect that it has on society when we kind of assume that algorithms are neutral, which is something that I think, you know, there have been lots of articles and, you know, things about this. Like, it's people have been thinking about it a lot, but I found it to be really informative and interesting. One of the interesting approaches that the director, Shalini Kantaya, takes is that most of the experts that she speaks with are uh, women and often women of color, which kind of, I think, gives it a little bit of a different perspective than a lot of stories that we hear about the tech industry. Um, yeah, and it, and even even though the idea that out, like human bias is inevitably coded into these algorithms that we then treat as neutral, even though that's not necessarily a new idea, I just found it to be really engaging and interesting, and I feel like what this documentary does really well is to kind of show you how that is a human problem and how it kind of affects people, you know, on a societal level, but also just in their everyday lives. So I found it, I found it to be, yeah, kind of, I liked it. Yeah. Uh, sticking with the, the C's first movie I saw, uh, first night of Sundance was, uh, Memuna Decore's cuties, which is a French film. Uh, one of only two, foreign films that I saw. That's another difference between Sundance and the thing like Tiff is that it's mostly American movies. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, cuties I loved if it gets, uh, any sort of wide release or, or, or serious attention. Um, it will get some backlash because, um, I don't know. I, I can imagine, I, I, I tend to try to avoid bad takes, but I can imagine some people being offended by, say, the movie Eighth Grade and the fact that there's some like uh, sexual like content about a fourteen year old. I didn't. Uh, I don't remember that much. Okay, I didn't know if it was. But this it. cuties is about eleven year olds, um, and it's a it's a it's about a girl from a, a Senegalese family who moves to Paris, and she's from a very traditional family. She doesn't have a great. She's not super happy in her home life uh, for reasons I won't. Uh, go into well I guess I should go into them her her father is basically uh, I, I guess they're from a polygamous culture her, her father is uh, bringing in a younger second wife uh, and she's not happy about it as an 11 year old okay. girl because uh, she could tell her mother's not happy about it right um, so she gravitates away from her traditional upbringing toward the sort of uh, popular girls uh, in her fifth grade class who um have formed a dance troupe that, uh, um, in, in which they dance, uh, in, I guess what you'd call they, they wear like skippy clothing and dance like provocatively, except they're 11 year olds and they don't, I think part of what's the movie is exploring is the idea that to a girl in this culture, in our culture, you see so much like sexiness that they might, they they sort of understand sexiness without actually understanding the sex part of it. Yeah, it sounds it sounds to me like it's a and you know I haven't seen the movie. Yeah. So you can tell me if I'm wrong, but it kind of based on what you're saying, it sounds like it's a movie about how uh, like a kid 
a kid, a kid, and especially a female child, kind of learns sexuality from the culture around her. Right. Yeah. So she she understands like they're <laughs> these girls do things in their dances that are like I, again you would say they're provocative, but only if they knew what they were evoking or provoking. You know, okay. but they're doing these like sort of like like with it, like humping the floor type of dance moves or like they're constantly like sticking their fingers in their mouths and all these things that are like, uh, uh, they, they clearly don't understand the, the, the context, but it's, and it's kind of funny, but it's not, it's also a coming of age movie, very, uh, deeply felt one. And I think, uh, uh, I, um, Sorry, I just recently read someone tweeting that critics should stop using the phrase deeply felt. So uh, <laughs> apparently that's something like, so I suddenly caught myself Profoundly doing it. Profoundly felt is yeah, what you, you meant. Go. There, there you go. go. Um, uh, so I, can, I, I, I kind of uh, would love the idea of, of the controversy around this because I would love the conversation uh, around this movie, but I'm not sure how many people are actually end up going to end up seeing it. Um, but it's very, very good. Yeah, and I mean, after the way you described it, I feel like I'm really curious to see it, so maybe yeah. someday I will, okay. and then we can talk about it. Great. Next up, oh, it's me again. And this is, okay, uh, I should mention, speaking of, so Cuties is about a girl directed by a woman. I think like 11 of the 16 films that I saw at Sundance this year were directed by or directed or co-directed by women. I feel like that's something you've seen in recent years in festivals, like really touting. I've seen it from Sundance and TIFF and AFI Fest, like all touting, like, Hey, this year, such and such percentage of our, uh, uh, films are, are female directed or, or, right. or, or, or whatever. Um, and I'm all for it because I have since 2016, I have, uh, attempted to watch at least 52 films by women every year. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't quite get to the first couple of years. And then something happened in the, in, in at least my part of the cinephile culture where it suddenly become super easy. And I like blow past 52. Films. I watched like 70 movies last year, uh, that were directed by women. It's, it's become, I don't know if it's filtered into your AMCs and like the sort of movie going culture at large, you've still got problems about, uh, you know, men on Twitter bragging about how they right. refuse to see little women and stuff like that. But at least in my part of the culture, it's breaking through where it's, it's tipping. Uh, I, in a good way. Okay. First I want to say you're not the only person that has kind of said like, Oh, I casually ended up watching a lot of female directed films. It's not this year. Like my, for, for myself, my list of films that I've seen about half of them, I think ended up being directed <clears> by women. And like, that was not something where I even was, consciously trying to yeah. seek out those movies it just kind of ended up that way and i've seen a few people say that you know that has all happened to them and i will say that this now we're taking a slight detour from sunday so i promise not to take too long but to your That's point okay. about there being uh it being easier and easier to watch a lot of female directed films like one statistic that's really interesting is that this year there are four marvel and dc movies and they're all directed by women like that would have been unthinkable even yeah. two years ago like you it, you know it was a big deal when like patty jenkins directed one and this year they're like yeah there's two Marvel films, there's two DC films, they're all ladies. Hold on, so it's Birds of Prey, Wonder Woman 2, uh... Chloe Zhao is directing the, the Eternals. The Eternals, and what's the other one that I'm missing? Um, Kate Shoreland is directing Black Widow. Black Widow, oh yeah. Um... I did get the director's name right, right? Yeah, yeah, Kate Shoreland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, last Kate Shoreland film, you and I saw it together, 
Oh, we did. Berlin at Syndrome Sundance. at Sundance yeah. when the uh, DCP server crashed during like like the killer is like stalking up the stairs, like running the knife along the staircase while the the victim is like hiding in a cabinet, and then the DCP server crashed. Oh, memories! <laughs> I gotta say, this was a better Sundance, just at least in terms of I didn't see a single movie that where the where it just crapped out. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> like yeah the, all the screenings went off happen. well. Yeah, yeah. At least for me. Okay. So, uh, the reason I bring, I bring that up cause I saw another film directed by a woman, uh, a documentary. Good. I didn't see that many, but, uh, the documentaries I saw this year, I, I liked, um, this one is called Dick Johnson is dead, which is directed by Kirsten Johnson, Kirsten Johnson, who directed camera person a few years ago and has, uh, made a career of, uh, being a cinematographer on, on, on documentaries. And Dick Johnson is uh, a documentary, but also kind of a, ha, has some fictional or some fantasy hybrid things. The idea of the movie is that her dad, Dick Johnson, you know, her mom, as we saw on camera person, um, struggled with Alzheimer's and, and, and passed away. And now her dad is starting to, forget things and he was living on his own uh in in seattle where she grew up and still running his his uh medical uh, uh practice but he couldn't do that anymore and so um she, he moves across the country to new york to to live with uh kirsten johnson and she sort of uh for both her sake and his sake uh her way of processing the fact that her father is dying is to stage a bunch of kind of darkly funny um like uh sometimes very gory uh accidental death scenes <laughs> so like there's like one where he's he's just walking down the street and there's they're staged so like she'll have like normal documentary going and then as it goes on, you kind of pick up when one's going to happen, but at the beginning, you don't know when he's like about to suddenly die. Um, cause she'll like sneak them right. in. So like, he's like walking down the street past a construction site and a guy, like a worker carrying like, uh, two by fours that have nails sticking out of them. It comes around the corner and the nails like catch him in the jugular and he's like bleeding all over the mailboxes on the sidewalk. And she's actually gotten her dad like acting these things out. <laughs> um, it's like very darkly funny. And then she also imagines, uh, what heaven is like, uh, uh, for him. So he's, he's got, uh, she's got like dancers with young, her dad and young, her mom masks on like dancing around in heaven. It's, uh, it's, it's very sweet, but also, um, at the same time as it's so fantastical, it's also very sobering and, 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 uh, uh, straightforward about death. Um, it's a really very moving, uh, movie. Dick Johnson is dead. Okay, want to check that one out. All right, you're up next. Oh, I'm up next. What are we talking about? Is it downhill? Force majeure for dummies. I don't know. I didn't see it. That's, I that's, mean, you're not entirely <laughs> wrong. So, yes, downhill, as uh, David Beck spoiled, is a American remake of Force Majeure uh, with Julie Louis-Dreyfus and Will Ferrell playing the couple. And if you've seen Force Majeure, the... Which I'll mention, uh, my absent co-host Tyler put Force Majeure on his list of the 10 best films of the decade. I, I really love that movie. Yeah. yeah. And the premise is, I mean, I can give away what the yeah, premise is, yeah, right? Yeah. So the premise is that this, this couple and their kids are on a ski trip and then something that they think is going to be catastrophic happens. And then it doesn't quite happen, but one of the, but Will Ferrell's character, the dad reacts in such a way that just creates this kind of really awkward tension with the rest of the family. And that's kind of the premise of it. And it basically is, it's not force measure for dummies because i mean it's not like force majeure was like super advanced and you had right. to be super brilliant to understand it and so it's 
but it, it is basically just like a less good version of force majeure and it does and it cues closely enough to the original that you kind of or at least i kind of walked out being like well what was the point of remaking it if it's going to be that similar other than just well a lot of americans didn't bother watching it because it wasn't an american film I mean, that said, uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus is very good. She's one of those actors that I think is very, very reliable. And mm. so she does she does a lot with this movie, almost enough that I was like, maybe it's worth it for her. Um, but like Will Ferrell, on the other hand, seems miscast. I don't know. It was perfectly fine. Like, I had a reasonably good time. Like, I feel like if I were kind of watching it at home, I'd be like, sure, this is, this is fine. This is kind of funny, whatever. It's amusing. But just, you know... Like, at, like when maybe if I hadn't seen the original, it would kind of seem more sure original and interesting to me. But, but because I had all I could think was, oh, OK, so it's a less good version of course Majeure. <laughs> and, and, uh, and obviously the the makers of, of Downhill, uh, Jim Rash and Nat Faxon uh, and Searchlight Pictures, right? Isn't it a uh, yes, picture? I think it's actually the first one to have the searchlight logo in front of it instead of Fox Searchlight. And I remember seeing that in screen room, like, oh, like I like audibly reacted because yeah. it was just so strange to see it that way. Um, now, obviously, they couldn't have predicted Parasite's win at the at the Oscars, but in a, in a post-Parasite world, does the American remake of the foreign language film seem stupider? I don't know if it seems stupider, but I will say that, like, I literally quoted that Parasite one-inch barrier of subtitles line in my <laughs> review of it. So you are not the only person that immediately yeah. thought of that. Uh, I'm going to mention, I, I won't go into detail on Emma because we actually talked about it on the TIFF uh, podcast. I'm only really, uh, mentioning it here because it played uh, at Sundance, and it was, when I when I almost said cl- the climb was the best I saw in the spotlight, I forgot that Emma which I saw at Sundance or saw at TIFF uh, played at spotlight. But yeah, listen to me and Angie talk about uh, Emma. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a sucker for Pablo Lorraine and I'm a sucker for movies that are, I'm, I don't, this is going to be weird. Like sad sex movies, <laughs> like movies that have a lot of sex in them, but aren't sexy. Like it's a, Emma's a movie about depression uh-huh. and it's about a character who like sort of, treats you know self-medicates by having a lot of sex with different people and so it's a uh uh for some reason i find that very up my alley okay all right you do you all right you're up you're up again okay so the movie i'm going to talk about is feels good man which is another documentary superhero movie it is not it's another documentary (laughs) i actually ended up seeing a lot more documentaries than usual this year which was unusual and fun and this one is about pepe the frog yeah. Like oh, the, okay. So it's yeah, a, yeah, yeah. So the feels good man. I did not know this until I saw this. Is just like like that. The most famous image of him is from like a comic strip where he says "feels good man," and oh, okay. so that's why it's called that. Um, but it's about it's about him. It's directed by Arthur Jones, and it kind of starts out seeming like it's just going to be about like how Pepe the Frog was created and all that, and it does go into that. And it it you know Matt Fury who created Pepe the Frog is a big part of that they talk to him about like where it came from and how he feels about like all the stuff that's happened to him since then because Pepe the Frog was never really like when he was created this was not the Matt Fury's intention he, it was right. just like a it was just a cute comic strip character that he liked that was kind of just you know a dude like an ordinary dude uh-huh. and he thought it was like fun and cute and that's all he intended it to be and then it just kind of you know, took off on the internet, went viral, got a whole life of its own. And what I found really interesting about this documentary is how it uses this character and kind of what happened to him as a jumping off point to talk about so much of just internet culture and especially like viral and meme culture. It talks about 
like the rise of 4chan kind of, you know, and how that became a such a like went from being just like a bunch of weirdos like off on the fringes to becoming like a more uh, powerful force and like, you know, how a symbol gets repurposed over and over and like and goes off in different ways and just goes in unpredictable directions. Like it it ends up being about so much. And the fact that it while you're watching it, it's very like easy to understand everything that's going on, I think, is even just that as a credit to uh, the director kind of being able to put this all together really neatly and yeah it's just I just found it to be really interesting like it's I don't know like these are topics that I kind of find interesting in general so maybe if you don't I don't know if you yeah. would but yeah it, sounds like it, it could really be good. infuriating too infuriating in what sense like just all the 4chan and alt-right uh type of stuff yeah i mean they interview a guy from 4chan they interview a guy that like was uh like part of the trump campaign so like yeah there if you're like if if that kind of thing makes your blood boil then for sure there are parts where you'll just be like oh screw these people does the movie include the footage of richard spencer getting socked in the mouth i don't (laughs) do you ever he was talking about pepe the frog at that moment i think it might at the moment he gets punched in the mouth i saw this a few weeks ago now so i can't say for sure but i think that i think that it might which by the way that happened while we were at sundance 2017 oh so we missed the actually we missed actually the biggest movie of that winter which was that video which went around (laughs) yeah oh yeah no i watched that was i watched that 45 times at sundance this year that year (laughs) on my phone uh all right let's move on uh disappointingly uh you know obviously feels good pepe the frog has become a uh an alt-right icon unfortunately an icon of the left once again has a terrible movie made about her. I was just wondering like, what the segue was yeah, there. Just All like right. what was last year, two years ago, we had two bad Ruth Bader Ginsburg movies. This year we are getting a pretty much terrible Gloria Steinem movie called the Glorious, directed by Julie Taymor, um, in which, uh, it's called the Glorious because, uh, uh, there are four different actresses, two children, and then Alicia Vikander and Julianne Moore who play her at, at, at different ages. And the sort of, bookmarks of the movie the chapter stops or whatever it cuts to this footage of the four of them and sometimes other women and sometimes not on a bus we don't they're on the way to a march or whatever and they're talking about um their life and and how they changed over time um and that stuff actually is uh, uh it's the most julie taymore because it's the most fantastical uh stuff and it's some of the better stuff in the movie the idea of talking to like um the you know teenage gloria steinem talking about how like uh, well, at my age, I always thought that I would grow up to marry and have children, you know, and, and then Julianne Moore, who, uh, you know, Gloria Stenham did eventually marry, uh, but never had any children. And so talking about how looking at how uh, your 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 desires and your goals and your ambitions change over time as someone who, when I was a teenager, assumed that I wanted kids when I grew up. And now here I am at 37 years old and it hasn't kicked in. I have no desire to have children and I'd say and neither does my wife. So I don't think it's going to happen. Um, that stuff's interesting. The problem is that that's not the bulk of the movie. Oh. The bulk of the movie is just the most pandering, superficial catchphrase spouting, ridiculous just sort of parade of like and then she met Dolores Huerta and then she like it's just like this sort of like is it one uh, of those biopics that feels like you're just reading a wikipedia page but no because the wikipedia page at least attempts some level of non-bias like that okay those are boring this (laughs) 
is a hagiography. It's, uh-huh, it's, uh-huh. it's just every moment of like, look how great she was. Oh, look at this one. And of course the Sundance crowd being the Sundance crowd applauded throughout the movie, constantly applauding standing ovation at the end because, uh, I guess they like being pandered to, uh, some of these people, but, um, I, I don't need, I already know that as a liberal, I'm right. Um, that's kind of tongue in cheek, uh, cause that's kind of a parody of, uh, the problem with liberals is they all, uh, uh, condescend. We all condescend, I should say, but I'm our, I feel that I'm right about the things that, that I agree with Gloria Steinem on, uh, about equality and about the woman's right to choose and, uh, and, and, and all these things. And I don't need a two hour and 15 minute movie to, reassure me that I'm right. And that's all it's there to do, uh, is, is to allow people who already agree with Gloria Steinem to pat themselves on the back. Well, maybe this year's other Gloria Steinem project will be better. What's the other one? Uh, it's actually a TV show. It's called Mrs. America, I believe. Yeah. And, uh, it's actually about Kate Blanchett plays Phyllis Schlafly. Okay. And Rose Byrne plays Gloria Steinem. So, okay. Yeah. That sounds very interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. We're getting to a glorious Steinem movie and a glorious Steinem TV show. Yeah, although we, I think this one, she's a supporting character. But oh, okay. Because yeah. aren't we also getting this year an Aretha Franklin movie and an Aretha Franklin TV show? Are we? There's Respect is the movie. Right. And then isn't there the National Geographic, like they do those genius miniseries? I have no idea Aren't they doing an Aretha, Aretha Franklin one? I, I, I believe you. I don't know. Um, that's interesting. All right. So that's, uh, the glories. We're doing a good job of like trading off here. We um, are, but we're not doing a good job of going fast. So I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to keep things a little bit more succinct. Okay. All right. So the next one that we're going to talk about is horse girl, which is the latest film by Jeff Baina, who has directed life after Beth, Joshi and the little hours. And it stars, it's a drama about this, uh, stereotypical horse girl played by Alison Brie, who's like kind of awkward and like already kind of seems like she's not really great at just like being a person in the world. And then as the movie goes on, either she is losing her mind or something really supernatural and very weird is happening to her. It's not a horror movie. It's more just like kind of fantastical and very strange. She starts to become convinced that like some sort of alien abduction, time travel ish situation might be happening. Um, And Alison Brie, I will say is very good. Um, She it's, she, she, I think she said that she was inspired by like a history of mental illness in her own family or something like that. So, and she's very good. She's very good. She brings a lot of sensitivity to the role, but at the, and I was not like bored or like, Oh, I hate this or anything, which (laughs) I felt that way during the little hours. So already that's an improvement. (laughs) However, like at the end of it, I was kind of like, okay, like I feel like, sure that was that was fine but i don't really understand what the point was so it's not bad but i would say not my favorite either all right well now we can talk about when we we both saw uh which was one of my three most anticipated movies of the, of the festival probably and oh, that's okay. um miranda july's kajillionaire yes i'm a big miranda july stan so am and, I? Uh, and this one didn't disappoint oh, uh i when, loved it when you said this one didn't i got like really scared for a second i was like yeah. oh no we're gonna fight about kajillionaire oh no yeah i uh, uh I, I really enjoyed it um what did you think you I also loved it. enjoyed it yes yes um, and i kind of expected i would like i really like miranda july her brand of kind of oddness is something that i feel very dialed into so i anticipated that i would like it and i did yeah her honest but i also heard like she has a she i feel like she takes the sort of 
interactions and, and the human sort of rituals that we all take for granted and yeah. observe every day and, uh, you know, views them like an alien would, but also a compassionate alien. Yes. Like she thinks, I think she thinks we're all strange, we but she also strange. kind of loves us, yes. I think, is is how I feel. And that's why I like one of the many reasons I like Miranda July. One of the other reasons and I wrote, wrote up about this in my review is three feature films in like I now consider her a Los Angeles filmmaker because all her films are set in Los Angeles and aren't like shy about the fact that they're set in Los Angeles. They don't try to be like every town USA. They're Los Angeles movies. Yes. Uh, oh, so I, I guess like we that. should say a little bit about what the premise is. Yes, so so. Um, Evan Rachel Wood plays the main character whose name is Old Dolio. Yeah. And she is the daughter of two kind of small time scammers. Like they just go through life not having steady jobs, just kind of running these weird little cons and griffs and that's yep. how they kind of scrape by played by richard jenkins and deborah winger who are yep. great together yep and then uh then this is just how they've been carrying on their lives until one day a uh, woman played by um gina rodriguez yes gina rodriguez kind of enters their lives and gets involved in these scams and then i think through her old dolu starts to kind of see what else her life could become and I and it's just uh, Evan Rachel Wood. I thought was incredible in this. Yep. Like you, she is. She is. It is one of those performances where as soon as you kind of see, even the way she's standing without her talking, you already are like, okay. I feel like I connect to this character. I feel like I kind of can already see what she's about, and like you feel like you have such an understanding of her. And it's it's it's, it's definitely a movie that made me cry. It's very yeah, like very sweet. It's very very tender. It's very mm-hmm. very like soft. Very very sweet. It also kind of is a. It, it, it's I really have a soft spot for movies about people who really need love but don't know how to go about expressing or accepting that kind of love like this I, is a this is so I, I tweet about this because one of the defining characteristics of old Dolio is that she does not like to be touched and I relate to that so hard as someone who does not like to be touched um, right. uh, by you know I, my wife is the, exa- the maybe the one uh, <laughs> exception to that rule and she's um, looking for that one exception because yeah, like, she exactly. doesn't like to be touched but you it's clear that she has this like really like you know, deep yearning for this kind of human connection. And the the movie is about the process of her kind of figuring out how she might go about getting that. Also, there are a lot of earthquakes. I wanted to bring that up because you mentioned that it's an LA set film. And yes, they talk about earthquakes constantly, which we also do in LA. Yes. Uh, And then uh, last thing else, I won't, I won't spoil anything. The, when we finally get the explanation for why her name is Old Dolio, which is like three quarters of the way into the movie, right. I laughed so hard. You uh, laugh, but it's also very sad, which is, is a lot sad. of this yeah. movie is like, it is very funny, but very sad. And I think that a lot of her movies kind of like feel that way to me. Not necessarily that they're all like downers, because I don't think this is a downer either, but just in the way that they, you know, are, I'm sorry. They're deeply felt, Deeply David. felt, yeah. Hey, it wasn't me, but it's in my head now because yeah. someone tweeted about it. Uh, all right, uh, you're up next with one of the one of the uh, my biggest disappointments that I didn't see. It was one of the ones I really okay. wanted to see at the right. festival and didn't see. Yeah, so I'm going to talk about the last thing he wanted, which is a new movie by Dee Reese, who did Mudbound and Pariah. So she's someone who's kind of done a lot of really excellent movies before. It stars Anne Hathaway and Ben Affleck and Willem Dafoe. Great cast. It's based on a novel by Joan Didion. So also mm-hmm. like, you know, promising source material. And then the movie is like, what happened here? Really? Yeah. Uh, so the, so do Anne you Hathaway, blame Anne Hathaway being blonde? Is that, the, I do not blame okay. Anne Hathaway <laughs> being blonde. She does seem like kind of odd casting, but the main, so the main problem with that, the movie is just uh, that it feels like, I don't. I just literally don't understand what is happening in this movie. It, the way I described it on Twitter immediately afterward is that it kind of just feels like if you turn on the TV 
to like a random scene in a random show that's already been going for like seven seasons and you're like okay. I'm sure this makes sense in context but then when you watch it you're like when I watch this whole movie I'm like no I watched the whole thing there is no context in the movie that makes any of these scenes make sense like isolated you're like okay maybe 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 some of this will kind of be explained later and no so basically she plays an investigative journalist who is made to carry out her a deal for her father played by William Defoe who's an arms dealer and then she you know so then that takes her to Central America and it just becomes this whole nightmarish thing but I don't know that's all that's what I that's what I'm gonna tell you about it because I don't really know what happened here I don't know it feels like it was a much longer movie that they cut down is kind of what it feels like I don't Mm. know if that's actually true but that's the only way that I can come up with for why like it feels like there's so little connective tissue holding any of the scenes together well, uh, that gives us more time to talk about one of the best movies of the festival. The, and keeping up my track record of the last movie that I see at, at Sundance every year being great, the last movie I saw was Minari. It was not the last movie I saw, but I also love that one. Yeah. it's uh, um, And I didn't know much about it. Uh, I, I knew the basic... Pre- uh, I knew that Stephen Yeun w- was in it and uh, uh, that he played a... He, he, that he's the... the father of a Korean family who moved to Arkansas in, in the 1980s, which I, I actually didn't know, um, going in. Two movies at Sundance this year about fathers uprooting their families to places they don't want to go in the 1980s. What's well, the other one? Uh, the Nest. Oh, well, I will say this one is not set in the 1980s, but uh, uh, Downhill is also about a dad oh, yeah. dragging his family to somewhere they're not all sure they want to be and then kind of, you know. Being a terrible dad while he's there. <laughs> um, Steven Yeun is not a terrible dad at Minari, though. No, he's not just at kind all. Of, uh, he's a good... Everyone in the movie is a good person, for the most part, which is something that I like. Yeah. Um, and, I, I, you know, it has this sort of big premise. He's like, he's moving his family to rural Arkansas to start a farm growing Korean vegetables in Arkansas right. to sell to... Uh, well, Dallas at first, uh, uh, he's, that's his first, uh, choice is, uh, to sell to Korean markets in Dallas and then ends up being Oklahoma city. But anyway, right. I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, it has, so it has this sort of big like premise, like you understand like what the conflicts are and what the character's goals are, but then the way it unfolds is not, uh, a, a, a clear sort of like, you know, uh, Aristotelian or three act type of like structure. It's, it's it very much follows its own path, follows its 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 characters um, on on their personal journeys, and it very much takes its time. While not, while not being a super long movie, it's like right about two hours, just a it's little not super under long, two hours. And it's not super slow either. Like it's not one of those movies where you're like, let's just gaze into the sunset for five hours and contemplate life. Like things Which happen. I like, those movies. And I like them too, but it's, <laughs> I'm just saying that that's not kind of the vibe of this movie. But a lot it of feels it's, like. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but like there's I feel like there's a lot of time just spent uh, in the sort of that heavy southern air. And you can hear the like a big part when I think about this movie, having been a few weeks now, uh, having seen it, the first thing I think of is the sound of like like crickets and and like the 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 sounds outside in their quiet town. Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted you. I know. I was just I, I really like this movie. It's 
a movie that is it like there are parts of it that almost feel like a comedy because like their grandma comes to live with them and there's lots <laughs> of like cute you know like misunderstandings or just cute grandma grandkid stuff like there's you know it's also drama I, I think it just feels very lifelike and actually for me personally one of the reasons it feels very lifelike is because I was a Korean American you know I was I was the child of Korean immigrants growing up in the 1980s right. and uh you know, my we did not live in like rural Midwest or anything like that. We lived in LA, but I think. But one of the things that that really stood out to me as just someone who happened to have that background was the language in it is very, very correct. By which I mean, like when I usually watch Korean movies, I have to understand subtitles because, like, I my understanding of Korean is not very good and very limited to a very specific kind of like the kind of conversations that you would have with your parents when you're a kid when I watched oh, right. Minari I was like oh I don't need subtitles for the first time I've ever seen a Korean movie because <laughs> they are using exactly the kind of language that I learned because this kid is like around my age at around the time period where like I would have also been learning this language I don't know that's kind of just a random personal anecdote but to me that does speak to how uh well steeped it is in this very 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 specific culture and this time and this place and these specific characters uh, I, I just thought that, that 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 like that realizing that made me realize like oh there's a level of detail here that I really really admire there's also uh, I, um, I, I can't speak too deeply about this because I'm not a, a religious person but there's a very religious aspect to the movie not the, I don't know that the movie itself is religious but so so much of it seems to be about the character's relationship to to God because yeah, and the, not in a way that is kind of didactic or you know or like kind of building it up or tearing it down too much it's just kind of a part of their lives yeah it, well you've got so you Stephen Young's character doesn't pray at all he seems to be non-religious yeah but the mother and the children pray you know before bed they have a very sort of like uh uh not rigid but they have like this is the time and place to pray and weirdly that time and place is not church they go they view church more as a as a as a social opportunity an opportunity to uh make friends in town do you know what i mean yeah i think that's pretty common for you know like i think that's a big function of church for a lot of people yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but then you've got Will Patton, the actor Will Patton, uh, plays uh, a neighbor who ends up helping Stephen Young's character on his farm. And he's someone who also doesn't go to church, but constantly talks to God and Jesus throughout the entire movie. Uh, and I feel like you're seeing all these different sort of forms of like relationships with 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 God in the natural world yeah. uh, in, in and outside of the structure in which we usually see them. I don't have enough insight to really know what to say about it, but it was something that very, very much caught my eye about the movie. I mean, I think that's just another one of those kind of very uh, empathetic details that makes it work. And then, I don't know, just I guess I guess partly because it was it reflected certain aspects of my own experience very well. One thing I sure. appreciated about it is that it kind of is a story about, about, you know, it's about immigrants in America, but it feels like it's coming very, it doesn't treat them like they're kind of outsiders or like it's not like a really a fish out of water type story. It's not about a culture clash. It's just, it just, it just kind of takes for granted that these are these people in these lives. And I really appreciate that angle of it as well. Yeah, I guess. Uh, sorry, we, we should we should keep going. But yeah, the, oh, yes. uh, uh... the but the the I feel like they don't they they get sort of treated as outsiders and uh, a little bit when they first go into town. But there's also not the. I, I was braced for like the horribly racist thing to happen to them, and that never happens. But they're all, they also are all like the the even the friend the boy makes like still thinks uh, is, still thinks that the uh, the Korean kid is weird. I mean, I guess I'm 
bit more that like the perspective feels very steeped in like these people's point of view as opposed to like the film treating them like oh this isn't going to be a movie about outsiders and immigration and culture clash like yeah, it's a movie just about these people and they happen to be immigrants and to not fit in in some ways but they do fit in, in other ways and it's just kind of about that anyway sorry right. that went really long but it's one of the best. All right. Uh, we, we, you know, we don't have to talk about Miss Americana almost at all because it's already out and people have seen it. But, yes, uh, but I will say it's I liked a good it. movie. I'm wearing a Taylor Swift shirt right now, oh, actually. Cool. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of Taylor Swift, and uh, I was a fan of this movie. I think um, the if you haven't seen it yet, the through line is sort of her political awakening. All right. Quit rushing me. Uh, um, uh, uh, but I would say the, some of the most insightful stuff is just seeing her at work. Yeah, it's really interesting about her job and her celebrity and yeah. her self-image as relates to those things. All right, so next up is, uh, ne- my, my next two are my favorite movies. Oh, God, you get to rest for a little bit, huh? Yeah, um, <laughs> I sure do. You don't. Go on. All right, so my next two are my f- two favorite movies of the festival. The first one, uh, Eliza Hittman's Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always, which is, uh, Eliza Hittman made uh, Beach Rats a, a couple years back, which got a lot of attention. I didn't. Uh, love it, but I did think it was it was uh, beautifully shot, and this one is very much the 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 same. But um, it's a movie uh, about. Uh, uh, takes place in the present day and a a teenage girl in small town Pennsylvania gets pregnant and she and her cousin decide to because they can't get uh, an an abortion in Pennsylvania without um, or a minor can't get an abortion without the parents say so so they take the bus up to New York City and um, and it's about their attempts to get an abortion uh, and how even with the legality of it and with the opportunity they have a mere three and a half hour bus ride, getting an abortion is not easy. Even in a city like New York where, uh, you've in theory, the, the law is helping. Even when you get to a place where you can get an abortion, it's, it's, it's not easy, but the movie you use the word didactic talked about the last movie. It's not didactic at all. It's about these characters and, uh, it's, um, uh, a movie, again, you've got pretty much a full two hours here, but there's very little, there's relatively little dialogue. It's it's mostly about these these friends um, or cu- cousins um, weathering this together, and and there's not the big sort of emotional display of like I've always got your back, cause or whatever. But like you can tell that they do. Like there's yeah. this this love between them and this uh, experience, which is not. Uh, a happy one for either of them is is bringing them closer together it's a very very beautiful uh movie um and also very sad all right next up is my favorite movie of the festival just, just barely edging out never rarely sometimes always and that's sean durkin's the nest um like like Miranda July, Sean Durkin has not made a feature film since 2011. Uh, that feature film was Martha Marcy May Marlene. And uh, uh, I, I, I like this one for a lot of the same reasons like Martha Marcy May Marlene. I talked about, uh, I just have weird things that like work for me. Obviously, I talked about sad sex earlier. That's not what this one is. Uh, movies that aren't really horror movies, but employ horror tactics. Okay. And I feel like Martha Marcy May Marlene had a lot yeah, of like, yeah, horror yeah, type sure. tension. This one's the same. Jude Law plays uh, a character who has moved to America and married a uh, uh, an American woman played by Carrie Coon. Also blonde, like Anne Hathaway. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, at the beginning of the movie, you know, they uh, have a beautiful house in like I I don't know 
one of the suburbs of New York City. I don't know. What's a fancy suburb of New York City? You used to live there. Like Westchester? Westchester. Let's say they live in Westchester. That type of place. Sure. And then, but uh, work's drying up for him, so he re, he uproots his family and moves them back to the London where he came from, where he can go back to work for his old his old firm uh, and uh, hopefully continue to try to lead the incredibly expensive, lavish lifestyle that he's used to and that his, he's accustomed his his family to uh, um, um, really, uh go so well. And so it's a movie about a family of sort of very, very slowly and in very understood natural human relatable ways falling apart. Again, a real, uh, <laughs> much like never sometimes. I don't know, it kind never of sounds sometimes like there always. might it's, be some yeah. sad sex in this yeah. one too. <laughs> you know what? Actually, there probably is some sad sex. Um, but also he rents them this big old, uh, uh, centuries old mansion that very much comes to feel like a haunted house. There Ooh. are, there are unexplained noises. There are doors that open when they shouldn't. And there's, there's all this horror stuff. It's not a horror movie, but I like the idea that if your life is as miserable as these characters are, you might as well be in a horror movie. Yeah. Speaking of horror movies, um, David Bruckner's the night house. I had not liked David Bruckner's previous feature, the ritual, um, which was the, uh, uh, did you see the ritual? I did not. Sort of like a pre-midsummer, like bros go on a, a bro trip and uh, discover a uh, violent cult, like a cult society type of thing. But not as good as Midsummer, obviously. Uh, the Nighthouse is a different type of horror movie. It's the increasingly common horror movie that's really about grief. Uh, in that, ah, <laughs> yeah, that is its uh, own category. Yeah, huh? like subcategory. Yeah. So Rebecca Hall plays a woman who's uh, when we meet her, her character, her her husband, her character's husband has committed suicide mere days beforehand. But uh, it doesn't take long for him to start perhaps showing up in their house, the house that he uh, designed and, and built for for them. Um, he suddenly the uh, she gets text messages from him that say come downstairs. He, the, uh, their song, their wedding song will suddenly in the middle of the night start playing very loud on the stereo. Um, and then she, uh, looks out the window at the lake, uh, where, which is where he rode out to the lake to shoot himself. And, oh, is that him? Um, and I'm, it feels like I might be giving stuff away. I'm, I'm not, there's a, a lot more stuff to this. And I feel like the people who I hate, sometimes I hate reacting. This is why I talked about, uh, uh, knowing too much about how other people feel. I hate reacting to other people's reviews, okay. but I feel like the people who have gone into this focused on the mystery element of it, like, is she going to uncover what's really going on here and what her husband was before she, uh, before he died? Like those people are, I guess, rightfully disappointed because the movie doesn't really wrap all that stuff up, but I don't think it needs to. It's about what this woman's personally and emotionally goes through. And it's also about the fact that it's fucking scary, Angie. And it does something that only that it really works for me in terms of horror. Cause I love being scared and something that is, I think difficult for even good horror, movie, horror movie directors to do sometimes is to not just have a big scare, but to sustain a scare. Oh. And there's, there's one of these scenes, these wake up in the middle of the night scenes in which, for minutes on end, scary shit just keeps happening and it doesn't get old. Uh, and, um, I felt like I was going to have a heart attack. It was, uh, uh, the exactly my kind of scary movie. So David Bruckner, you have done it. All right. And then, uh, well, I guess this movie has a little bit of horror in it too. Uh, I watched a very silly movie, but also a movie that's about the fact that we're, 
as humanity, we are on the path to complete annihilation. Oh, fun. Um, it's a movie called Omniboat, a fast boat Fantasia, which is a movie that uh, is directed by a whole bunch of different directors. It's an omnibus movie, anthology movie, all centered. Every, every one of the short films in the movie um, focuses or takes place on or around or involves uh, a specific speedboat, um, uh, which uh, the, this it's a film filmmaking collective out of my, uh, Miami called Borscht Corp, Borscht Corporation. And they like basically created a sales pitch to try and get someone to buy them a speedboat so they can make a movie about it. And then someone <laughs> did buy them a speedboat and they were like, Oh fuck, we got to make a movie about the speedboat. So they got all their friends to make a, a bunch of short films. Um, I don't know. The movie doesn't have like clear credits of like who directed what I know. Uh, as far as the only real big name that I knew going in is the, the Daniels who made Swiss army man. Right. Right. Uh, uh, worked on it but um it's a very all over the place movie in terms of in terms of quality but also in terms of tone some of these are very comedic some of them are overtly horrific some of them are just plain weird some of them are avant-garde there's like a a a really long sort of like everglades interpretive dance sequence that goes it's like late in the movie and it goes on for quite a while um it's a it's a it's a bizarre movie does not have a uh, uh, straightforward uh, plot. It, it does have a, a a backbone, a through line in which uh, Mel Rodriguez plays like a Donald Trump type trying to build a new um, uh, high rise condo tower in mm-hmm. Miami as Miami is sinking into the ocean. Uh, yeah. Uh, Sounds like they got good use out of that boat. Uh, yeah. Money yeah. well spent. And this is definitely, I think like Omniboat would definitely be something like watch it at home. Like watch it when you can stream it. Like you don't need to go to the theater to see Omniboat, but you'll have a good time watching it maybe in chunks or whatever. All right. It's a fun time. All right. All right. I get to take a bra- breather for a minute here. You do. So I'm going to talk about Palm Springs, which is uh, a movie directed by Max Barbacow and is also kind of a Lonely Island movie. It stars Andy okay. Samberg and I believe was produced by Andy Samberg and the other two Lonely Island dudes. And it's basically the... Coney. And the other guy. Akiva Schaefer. No. Oh, yes. Akiva. Akiva. Sh- yeah, Akiva Schaefer. Yeah, yeah, not okay, Akiva okay. Goldsman. No, no, no. I did yeah. have a second one. I was like, <laughs> no, that's the other one. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Anyway, uh, if you guys are listening, I, we're very sorry. Um, so they the, are. They kind are of the basic sorry. premise of it is basically Groundhog Day as a rom-com. So Andy Samberg uh, and Christine Milioti play the two main uh, love interests and basically they are stuck in a time loop and it, it's about that and I found it to be it's one where I didn't really know what to expect like the program had even hidden the Groundhog Day twist and then I oh, and then okay. by the time I saw it I'd seen enough people call it that that I knew to expect some kind of time loop thing um, but I still wasn't really sure like okay what does that mean and uh, it 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 ended up being really interesting. It ended up being one of the ones that I, ones that I really liked the most at the festival and one of the movies that when people keep asking me like what what should i be excited about out of sunday it's like it's a movie that i'm very excited for other people to see okay and i think it's a it's it's a, it's a rom-com but it seems like one of those rom-coms that is for cynics without being too snarky or too saccharine because uh, it kind of it, it just it's it's about how this time loop situation creates this feeling for those characters of just like we are stuck here there's nothing we do that nothing we do matters like everything is meaningless like nothing means anything or is important or whatever and it's and even though we are not stuck in a time loop obviously i think it's a feeling that a lot of people have had at some point in their lives or maybe even go through their lives kind of feeling that and it's it's about kind of when that is the universe that you are living in like what 
what is the point of love? Like, what could it even possibly do? So it's, it ends up being about that. It's very funny. Not like pop star funny, like it's not that kind of broad humor, but there are a lot of, you know, like I laughed quite a bit and then I cried a little bit. Oh. It's also very, very sweet. Like, I, th- I think the ro- romance part of it really works. The leads have really good chemistry. So this is one that I'm really excited about. And I guess other people are too, because again, it was a record setting deal. Yeah. Made on this year. Yes. So we'll see. All right. Uh, I won't talk much about The Perfect Candidate's new film from Haifa Al-Mansur. It's a Saudi Arabian film uh, about a woman who's a doctor who can't wait to get out of her small town, but then essentially accidentally ends up running for the town council and becomes sort of a voice for not only the positive changes she wants to see, but being like, she becomes a symbol for women running for office and looking for power in Saudi Arabia, where uh, that's uh, even harder to do than it is here, I guess. Um, but it's just... Uh, it's not bad. The performances are good, but it just feels uh, aesthetically. It feels like a like a third rate basic cable cable drama. You know, it, it's oh, it's not interesting that. to 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 look at. It's not that interestingly uh, cut together. Um, it's just it, the movie just feels kind of flat. And I feel like I want to give it points for its heart, and I right. do, but I can't really recommend it uh, on the podcast called Battleship Pretension. It's not pretentious enough. <laughs> Sorry to hear that. Okay, I have like five in a row, although I think you're going to help me with one of them. Yes. So first, we're going to literally roll up my sleeves. And we're going to power through these. Yes. So first, uh, we have Promising Young Woman. That one is one that for a Sundance movie had more hype than usual going into it because they had already released a trailer. So I think that was one where, at least for me, it was one of the ones where I had a better idea of what to expect. Although it ended up not being quite what I expected in a way that I really appreciated. So it's kind of a rape revenge film. Carrie Mulligan is the main character and she is... She has something clearly very bad has happened to her, like at some point in the past. And it takes a while to kind of piece together what what exactly it was. And then she when you meet her is kind of going around town, picking up dudes and then doing and kind of just like scaring them. It's like a it's a it's a whole thing. But Mm -hmm. it's a it ends up being a movie that is very much just about it's not so much about like her like what happened to her as how it she reacts and how that has shaped her whole worldview. It's very, you know, it's kind of funny sometimes like it like in a darkly comedic way like uh you know, a lot of a lot of a lot of dudes that you like are in this movie and a lot of them play hmm. really horrible people like um uh Sam Richardson from Veep is in it and oh. like uh Bo Burnham, the guy who directed 8th Grade is in it like so that part of it is really funny and well-observed, but it's also, you know, a, it's a little bit, not like scary, scary, it's not a horror movie, but there's a little bit of that kind of edginess to it, and it's also ends up being really deeply sad in a lot of ways, okay. uh, and it takes some turns that I really did not expect and that took me by surprise, and it's one that I don't know how to talk that much about because I don't want to say too much about what happens, but I'm very curious to talk to some people once it comes out. I think that the reasons I liked it might be some the reason that some people will really dislike it, but we'll That's, talk about it later then. That sounds like something I'm very excited to see. Do you know when it comes out? Uh, I believe in March, so we don't okay. have to wait don't that have long. Don't wait too long. Yeah, right. that's why the trailer came out, because it it's, it's coming right. out pretty soon. So the next thing we're going to talk about is Shirley. Do you want to take this one? Cause yeah, I have a bunch because of this was uh, my top three. I mentioned Kajillionaire being one of my top three. The others were Shirley and Weirdly Miss Americana, because I like Taylor Swift, uh, were my top three wow. uh, most anticipated. Not my top three movies of the first. Top three most anticipated. Um, but Shirley, yeah, also, uh, like Kajillionaire, didn't disappoint. Um, uh, it, it's a... It's a Elizabeth Moss plays Shirley Jackson and, right. and, uh, um, Michael Stuart plays her husband, Stanley. Do you remember? 
No, we can just call him Stanley. It's okay. Hyman? Does that sound right? Yeah, yeah, that does sound right. Um, and uh, who are real? Who are real, real people? But this this movie is a fictionalized idea of how Shirley Jones, uh, Shirley Jones, uh, Shirley Jackson came to write her, I think, uh, first novel or second novel, Hangs a Man. Um, the premise is that a younger couple and uh, a new like adjunct professor at the same college as Stanley and his wife come to live with them. And while the boys are off professoring, uh, the um, young woman and and Shirley develop a sort of contentious alliance i wouldn't call it a friendship although it becomes more of a friendship as it goes on they just develop a very odd relationship yeah yeah um that kind of leads to uh or helps lead to shirley jackson writing her her novel yes i do want to say that like it's got really it's got strong who's afraid of virginia wolf vibes i think that's a good way to describe it right (laughs) oh sure yeah it's just about this like older couple that are kind of horrible and yeah, just like fucking li- with this younger literary couple. and horrible yeah exactly yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah um, uh, but also uh, like I said at the nest there's definitely some sort of horror type of uh, there's some tension some sort of like uh, I, I know it's not uh, I'm sure Joe Decker wouldn't like the we, 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 it's not woke to compare her to Roman Polanski but it feels like a Roman Polanski movie at, uh, at a lot of points to me and it's sort of like internalized sort of like uh panic and, and sort of psychological horror uh um that, that it, it felt polanski-esque to me yeah uh elizabeth moss i thought was incredible and she's one of those actors kind of like adam driver where she's consistently incredible but she's also so incredible that somehow after each performance i'm still surprised all over again by how good she is she's <laughs> exceptionally good in this like i really liked her and then odessa young who plays the younger woman i thought was also very very good yeah and i liked her in assassination nation i'm on the fence as to whether i liked assassination i didn't nation. see that one it's, that uh, was the big sale last year, wasn't it? Assassination was that last year or was that two years? No, it was last year. It was last year? I think wow. I think so. Anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a movie that I walked out being like, I feel like I have, I feel like I really liked it. So I'm not saying I didn't, but I feel like, oh, yeah. you know how sometimes you walk out and you're like, I feel like I need to piece this together in my mind. Like, I feel like I haven't quite cracked it and I never felt like I quite did. But it's a really interesting look at, um, at genius and at womanhood and, uh, you know, uh, motherhood, I guess, to a certain extent, and kind of all these different things that go into the stew that was Shirley Jackson. Yeah, it's a very, like with Josephine Decker, it's a very tactile film. Uh, you kind of feel like you can feel their house and sometimes in gross ways because Shirley Jackson tends to spend long days at a time in bed without shaving or shaving, uh, showering or changing the sheets right. or whatever, and the movie sometimes feels very gross, uh, um, and there's a lot of sort of intense close-ups the opening shot it just like sort of tracks up her matted hair as she's laying in bed right. and then finds her her face and that feels very josephine decker uh yeah i really really liked it definitely top five movies of the festival for me all right you've got a few more yeah it's one of my top five too um all right okay we're gonna talk about the social dilemma which is another documentary also about tech because i watched a bunch of those this year so this one's directed by jeff orlowski and it's basically a documentary about the dangers of social media um and he kind of he interviews a lot of people who are tech industry insiders for this which is really interesting like he interviews people who used to be really high up at like google and facebook and pinterest and stuff like that and you kind of get from them like a better understanding of kind of uh how these platforms have been made to manipulate us and how good they are at it and why that's harmful so it's actually it actually i saw it the same day as that other one i was talking about about the algorithms yeah coded bias um, and they kind of made for an interesting double feature. They even share one of the talking heads, which is a woman <laughs> named Kathy O'Neill, who wrote a book about 
about algorithms and how they're biased called weapons of math destruction. Um, anyway, Good so, one. right. Uh, so, and, and then interwoven with that is this kind of like fictionalized story about like a little nuclear family who is struggling with tech addiction or whatever. And like that part was the worst part of it. Like it felt very kind of, you remember when you're growing up and then like your teacher would wheel a VCR into your classroom because we're Jeff or David yeah. and I are very old. They had VCRs back then. And then like you would watch something that they had made for school so for kids out, to Jeff? watch. Why did you call me Jeff? I think I was looking at the director's okay. name. You're David. I understand yes. you're not whoever Jeff is. Um, it just it feels like one of those things that was made to be an educational video, like the, the kind of fictionalized part of it. Like it feels very, very phony. And in a way, like in a way that I thought really detracted from the film because it made it feel like I was watching an educational video which like I feel like as a kid who watched them you kind of already don't inherently don't trust them that much do you know uh -huh. what I mean so oh, even yeah, though yeah. there's a lot of yeah. really good information in it and even though like he clearly has a lot of experts who know what they're talking about like I thought that part of it kind of undermined it that said the talking heads with you know like it is interesting to get this really inside perspective on it and uh I do think the, that if you if you decide to watch these two back to back, they will form a complete picture. Also, throw and feel good man in there because yeah, there you go. That's the whole internet right now, I guess. <laughs> okay, so that's a wrap on that one. We speaking are now, of social media, right? Uh, yes, I guess that's true. We're going to talk about Spree, which I missed by three people. That is very sad. It was three got, got shut out of the the P and I. That's press industry for those who don't know. Uh, the P and I screening by three people ended up seeing a movie. That was bad instead. I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah. Uh, Spree is um, a movie starring Joe Keery of Stranger Things as this dude who is extremely desperate to go viral and kind of be a in, in social media influencer. And he has a job as a rideshare driver and uh, decides he's going to start kind of like he's going to go on a killing spree, basically, to become viral. So that's kind of that is the premise of the movie. It's directed by Eugene Kotli-Yurenko. I think I'm saying that wrong and I have not seen a movie of his before. But one of the things that it's one of those movies that is I guess you could call it found footage, although what's kind of interesting about it at this point is that like back in the day, found footage was very like, where are these people always filming themselves? It's right. so weird. Now it's a guy that's trying to be an influencer and even the other characters are always filming themselves or taking pictures of themselves or live streaming stuff because that's just how we live now. So that aspect of it is really interesting. Um, it's I mean, I had a good time with it. I wouldn't say that it well, it was like mind blowing. I wouldn't say like, oh, I learned something really deep, but I thought the I thought that him using that format was a really interesting way to do it. There's some, you know, pretty pretty messed up kills and stabbings and stuff like that okay. that are interesting and some interesting moments of tension. So yeah, I mean, I would say it's like a it's like a solidly good time. I wouldn't say, oh, David, you should just be live the rest of your life and regret that you missed it by three people. But I do feel like if you get the chance to see it someday, you should. All right, uh, uh, hopefully I will. Um Oh, yeah, you're up again. Yes, I am up again. <laughs> All right, now we're going to talk about um, Us Kids, which is the which is a documentary by Kim A. Snyder about the Parkland teens. Um, and it it's it's okay, like, to be honest. It's very moving just because the subject matter is inherently very moving. It's kind of about, like, them coming together after the shootings and, like, kind of going and becoming activists and also, but also at the same time just trying to figure out how to, carry on with their lives after this 
event has occurred to them that is so horrific and so tragic that it just derails everything about what life you thought you were going to lead. So it is it is inherently very interesting because of that. That said, I think that it is maybe trying to do too many things, trying to cover too many people, trying to go in too many directions because it felt a little bit scattered. And there were definitely parts where I was like, I'm not really sure why we're focusing so much on this person who seems kind of really detached from the other stuff that's happening over there or like what we're supposed to be getting out of this relationship or this event or anything. So it's, you know, it's interesting and it's, I think it's worth seeing just as a, because I feel like one of the things that we don't talk about as much with these tragedies is necessarily like how these people move on afterwards right. and what happens to them afterwards. So in that sense, I, I do think it's interesting and important, but I think as a documentary, I just wish it had been felt a little bit more streamlined and not as scattered. All right. Uh, real quick, I'll mention Vitalina Varela, which again, we talked about in the TIFF episode. It's uh, one of the best movies of uh, the past couple years, but it's um, it played in the um, in the Sundance New Frontiers, which is it's kind of like experimental like uh, sort of section, which is very small and very much not what you think of when you think of Sundance. Sundance tends to be, you know, it doesn't have to be international art house movies. It tends to be largely American and when we're not American indies they're still right. uh, largely commercial-ish movie, you know narrative driven commercial movies Fidelian Varela is it has a narrative but it's it's very much international art house type of movie um, if you're lucky enough to live in one of the cities where it's playing it's opening over the next few weeks um, and it's uh, absolutely astounding it is the best movie I saw at TIFF last year and it would be my best my favorite movie of 2019 if it had come out uh, in 2019 but it's coming out in 2020 uh, all right, so let's move on to a movie that neither of us saw at the festival, but we both saw the other night and didn't know we were in the same room. Yeah, we were in a tiny screening room with like seven other people, and somehow we still did not see each other in there. Yeah. Uh, but it is called Wendy. It is a new film by Ben Zeitlin, who did Beast of the Southern Wild, and it is called Wendy because it is a retelling of Peter Pan. Yeah. Um, except set in... Do, you, do they say where it's set? I don't know. Okay, it's set like it's, somewhere vaguely Southern uh, American, yeah. in whatever sort of in, a little like romanticization of poverty world that lives in Ben Zeitlin's mind. If you can't tell, I fucking hated it. Probably even worse than I hated Beasts of the Southern Wild. <laughs> I, yeah, I was like, hated I was starting so to get much. the feeling that you didn't love it. All right, so I did. I will say, like toward the end, it picked up for me, and there were parts that I even liked. But on the whole, like, ooh, I don't know. Um, it's very. It's uh, it's a movie about the magic of childhood, but not. But and it's like told from the perspective of a child, Wendy, mm -hmm. who is like in this what like twelve ish. I'm not good at that. Okay, but she's like a. She's I don't like, she's, like a, she's like not like between not like, like four and thirteen. That it's like all yes. The kind of she's thing. old enough that she. Do, I don't think she's in kindergarten, but she's not like entered adolescence. So okay. she's like you know, let's sure. say she's like ten, eleven, twelve ish. Anyway, the point is, so it's a it's a point. It's a story about childhood and kind of letting go because that is what Peter Pan is about. It is told from the perspective of this child, but. Duh. The stuff that they make her say, like, she does that kind of, like, whispery narration yeah. thing, but, like, the stuff that they have her read is, like, I'm like, no child wrote this. This uh -huh. is bullshit. This is, like, when you go on Twitter and someone but, is like, my 11-year-old just turned to me and said the most profound thing, and you're yes. like, fuck <laughs> off! That is not real! Like, That's exactly... And it's yeah. just, and, like, and like because of the stuff she says is, like, trying so hard to be profound, and, like, because of, like, something about the aesthetic and, like, how kind of beautiful it looks, it felt like a Google ad. 
Am oh, I crazy? That, Do you that's know a, what I mean? That's a great example because it feels like I, I don't want to cast aspersions. The only thing I know about Ben's Island is what I know through his movies, but he seems like he's full of shit. <laughs> like I don't, he doesn't feel uh, everything that he does to create sort of quote unquote, like magic feels very manufactured. It feels like it's, uh, uh, what's the word you're looking for? Like it's, reverse engineered like he's yeah. like he's like oh i'm gonna like it feels uh, very inauthentic like the magic yeah. in this doesn't feel authentic like and like i don't even know what that means and maybe that's a bullshit sentence but like, no it i just think that's a like, great i mean that that's the good thing about being film critics is we don't have to be we can kind of just say who we feel it could be a little bit nebulous because we're talking about an art form oh uh, <laughs> god yeah i mean i will say it is very very pretty but almost in a way that works against it because then again it looks so pretty that it doesn't actually feel like any any of this is like kind of real you know mm-hmm. and it feels like it's a movie for people who just like look off in the distance and they get so teared up thinking about the fact that they were a child once and you're just like oh. <laughs> I'm sorry this is like yeah. the most animated I've gotten but it's driven me that part of it just drove me nuts yeah I'm glad, also I'm glad you both the like score it. sounds exactly like the Beast of the Sun and the Wild score okay like with a couple of notes changed like i was like oh so you basically just wanted to use the same score but couldn't so you're like hey guy do the same thing but change a couple of notes all right well um speaking as i was speaking a little bit ago about uh sundance being commercial now i'm i'm very notoriously bad at predicting how movies will play box office wise because i don't think i'm just out of touch i guess sure but i really liked this documentary whirly bird and i really think it's the kind of thing that a lot of people will like because it's it's just documentary but it's it's one of those documentaries that just like it's such a good story um uh, it, it, it's about this couple who started as in the late seventies and early eighties, they started as independent news stringers, very much like Jake Gyllenhaal's character in Nightcrawler. Essentially they were, that's what they were doing. Mm. He's driving around and, and finding plane crashes and car crashes and, 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 and shooting footage. And they ended up being sort of the biggest, uh, in Los Angeles, uh, at doing this big enough that they were able to buy a helicopter. And then they became the go-to sort of, uh, they would just like, uh, wait for news of some horrible thing and go fly above it. And they got car crashes. They were the, the footage of, uh, Reginald Denny being beaten almost to death or death during the LA riots. That's them. They were the first people to on the white Bronco and OJ Simpson, like these, the, the, this couple and their company, which ended up being more people were on the forefront of this sort of this epoch in what, TV news was and because of that. So not only is it a great story because it's about this, uh, uh, you know, uh, a couple who witnessed all these things. The movie is full of fascinating imagery, just car crashes, car crashes and car chases and all the stuff you're kind of supposed to be like, Oh, it's bad that they, did this to news, but also like, this is undeniably exciting footage, like throughout the movie. Uh-huh. And then the thing that I, that the move that I have intentionally with, withheld from you with the movie, uh, reveals pretty, uh, uh, pretty quickly is that the husband, if you will, of the, they've since divorced and the husband, uh, has since transitioned. Um, and, uh, now, um, lives somewhere in Northern California in like a fucking cabin, uh, and is a woman. Um, and so, uh, you, you've got this great family dynamic and the, the idea of this man, sort of, you know, quote unquote, who's acting in this controlling way about his, toward his company, toward his family. Right. And you see it, you, you see it as like, this seems like 
toxic masculinity run amok. But then the movie is also saying, well, maybe this is not toxic masculinity. Maybe this is gender dysphoria run amok. And he's, he behaves like the, the he quote unquote, Bob, she, uh, uh, I think her name is Zoe now, um, behaves like this because she's trying to put on some sort of mantle of masculinity or because her life is completely out of her hands and she's trying to have some control over it. It's a really fascinating, uh, psychological portrait that doesn't, uh, uh, draw easy answers and conclusions. Thank God. Cause those mm-hmm. are the worst kind of documentaries to me. Um, and also it's just like, like I said, a fantastic story and full of, uh, r- really fascinating, uh, and sometimes really upsetting imagery. Um, Worthy bird. I feel like, I feel like this is the, like it's on the one hand, it's very challenging and daring in some ways. And in other ways, it's so conventionally enjoyable. that I feel like this is the kind of documentary you could like recommend to your parents. Like this could be on okay. Netflix and you could be like, Oh mom, dad, you got to watch gotcha. Worthy bird. You'll really like this. All right. Uh, I, so I really think people will like Worthy bird. Um, and they should see it instead of seeing the movie that I saw instead of spree, which is worth. And the one thing that I'll point out about worth is I had seen the director's last film, the kindergarten teacher back when I thought her name was Sarah Colangelo. And then they introduced her as Sarah Colangelo. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, wow, I was, uh, that's almost, almost every syllable was different than I thought it was. <laughs> um, but, uh, worth is, uh, based on a, a true story about the, the nine 11, uh, victims compensation fund in which, um, Michael Keaton plays, um, uh, Ken, Ken Weinberg. I can't remember his name now. Uh, the guy who, who oversaw it, the, the lawyer who oversaw it. And yeah, plenty of it is very touching. And maybe I got a little hitch in my throat or whatever, but it feels like the movies that do this sort of true story thing correctly, like last year's the report or spotlight from what 2015, whatever that was. Um, they feel like you're actually following the thread you're following this things that's happening moment by moment that you're keeping up with it. This feels like it. I used the term reverse engineer to talk about Wendy. I, sh- I should have reserved it for this because that's what this feels. You can you feel like we know where this is going to end up. We, we know where we're going. We're going for the big emotional, like everyone uh, agrees at the end type of happy thing. And ev- the whole movie just constantly feels like it's being pulled forward by its obvious ending. And so everything feels uh, fake and, and poorly dramatized. Um, I mean, there's some funny stuff. You got Michael Keaton and, and Amy Ryan um, and, and some other actors, uh, Gail Rankin again uh, shows up in this. And then I should have said, uh, there's also some very sad stuff. Gail Rankin scene is not funny. Actually, I think of her as a funny actress, but uh she plays the one of the victims, you know, someone who lost a family member in nine eleven and has a uh, re- really a uh, horrifying story. There's there's plenty to pull on your emotional heartstrings, and if that's what you want, have at it. But it feels like a a, a kind of a, a dishonest and not entirely thought through movie. Okay. Finally, we end with another true-ish story, yeah. right? It's it's based on uh, well, actually. The yeah. most famous thing about Zola is that it's based on a Twitter thread. Right, which we don't know entirely how much of that Twitter think, thread is actually true. I think I think that there have there have been articles that came out after where they like interviewed her, or they interviewed like the 
girl that the woman that she was talking about like so there is you you can find out kind of a little bit of like what really happened versus what happened in twitter and like that the person who posted the thread has always been very like yeah exaggerated for effect a little bit she's yeah. not pretending that it's like an extremely factual account yeah. or anything but anyway and also so, they changed some names and details again for zola yes so uh so yeah it's based on that twitter thread that went viral what was it like two years ago four years it was 2015 was it that long ago 20, okay. yeah it was a well, while it was ago a, it was a twitter thread that went viral a few years ago um about this woman who who was a stripper and she met this other woman who was also a stripper uh and then they and who like convinced her to go on a road trip down to florida to kind of you know make some quick money dancing there and then you know it sounded like sure we'll go down there it'll be a couple days it'll be really easy we'll come back up but like it ends up just becoming this road trip from hell uh-huh. uh so and that and that thread like really just took off and people were like oh it should be a movie and then lo and behold now it is a movie directed by janisa bravo i don't know if i'm saying that correctly i have no idea how to say her first name okay but anyway so and it stars uh taylor page as zola and riley keogh as in this movie she's called stephanie and she's the other stripper um and uh it is so it's an adaptation of that and you've got coleman domingo as uh Stephanie's roommate, who turns out to be a pimp. <laughs> yes, you've you got know. Nicholas Braun from Succession, who is uh, Stephanie's boyfriend, and he is playing a very... If you have seen him on Succession, he is playing basically what you think would happen if Cousin Greg was in Zola. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's, uh, it's, 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 an, it's an inherently interesting story, because, I mean, there's a reason that Twitter thread went viral. Um, it's, also, it's also frequently very funny. It's also got, like, a... It's one of those it's one of those stories that was fun, both in the Twitter thread and in this, because you're just like, I can't believe the shit is happening. Yeah. So in that sense, it's really fun. One of the things I didn't expect is that I felt like what really appealed to me for the movie more than kind of how I felt about it emotionally was like it it felt like more of a cerebral movie to me than I necessarily expected when I heard like based on this Twitter thread about this wacky thing that happened to this one woman. And I really mean that as a compliment. Like one of the things I found really interesting about it is how the director uses the style uh, she kind of adopts a very internet-y aesthetic, and I feel like if you st- see it, you'll see what I mean to tell this story. And it, and it, I think there's some there, there's some like bits in there that like feel like she's specifically like mirroring or, or, or reflecting the look of like specific apps like that. It's like, Oh, yeah. that seems like a boomerang video or that seems like a dub smash or whatever. Like yeah, all those, like, like there's like, there's like a part where it feels like you're scrolling through Instagram. Like when you mm-hmm. see timestamps in this movie, they look like the iPhone lock screen fonts, <laughs> like things like that. So like, and uh, you know, you like a lot of the scenes are interrupted by like the little Twitter notification sound yeah. and things like that. And it just, I think, I think that that makes it so that it, w- w- it could have just been, a fun story about this crazy thing that happened to these two women. Uh, and like, it would have just been fun if it was that, but I think that her, she usually, she really uses that style to make it about something more than that. I think the thing you're, the, the thing that I felt, I'm glad you used the word cerebral, but the, the, um, cause the thing that I think that it's about, that's more than that is the, the way that a generation who has come up with social media experiences things both firsthand and at a remove simultaneously. Yeah. And I feel like that's, that's what the movie's doing there by like having crazy things happen. And oh my God, this is crazy. But also like the characters are always commenting on it. Not in like a, not in like a sort of nineties post irony type of way, like in a way that feels very natural to them as part of the, uh, as part of the experience of things is to be self-aware about it. And to, in in a way in your mind, almost instinctively repackage it, you, you, you know, 
um, yeah, I, I, that's what I, I, I think that's the cerebral thing for me that, that, that she was getting at there. Yeah, I mean, it's a story about like what happens, but it's also a story about how this main character, Zola, kind of processes and repackages what happens and kind of how she owns that story and stuff like that. And they really make that point later on when you start to see the story from someone else's perspective for a bit yeah. and things like that. So I thought that that ended up being it ended up being really interesting. Yeah. And also Riley Kyo uh, is always fantastic to me and is especially funny here she's i don't know i don't funny. know what that accent is she's doing and i don't care because it's hilarious i also give taylor page a lot of credit because like her character is one that spends a lot of the movie not qu- like purposely not quite reacting because she's yeah. kind of in this situation and can't really get out of it easily right. but i feel like she has done a very good job of conveying what she's thinking uh without being t- too showy of a performance well, that's it. We went from C to Z um, <laughs> at Sundance 2020. Thank you for, uh, for for following along. We had a good time doing this. We had a good time at Sundance. I saw a lot more of you at Sundance than I did uh, in recent years. That um, was very nice. This yeah. was very nice. Thank you. I, 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 I had a great time. I hope the listeners did too. You can, of course, find us, uh, find me, uh, Tyler's not here. You can find me at battleshipretention.com. That's where you can find reviews of uh, all the stuff that I saw at, at Sundance. Um, you can follow me at davidbattleshipretention.com. Uh, like rate and review the podcast patreon.com slash battleship pretension please i can't remember what's on there uh this week but um do all of that uh follow me on twitter at david pretension i can't remember if i said that uh angie where can people find find you uh in your work uh, you can find my writing, including my reviews of a lot of these films, at mashable.com. And you can find me on Twitter at AJHAN. All right. Uh, thank you for being here, Angie. Thank you for having me. Thank you at home for listening. And we'll get you next time. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 